Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water... It starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week we embark on Operation Delta Force December to kick off this action-packed month. We are joined by the film's director, Sam Furstenberg, director of cult classics such as American Ninja, Avenging Force, American Samurai, Riverbend and Delta Force 3, The Killing Game. Sam, welcome to the show. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be with you and uh, it's nice that you invited me to this show. Uh, since it's, let me tell you, since it's the first time I'm doing a podcast <laughs> regarding this movie. Oh yeah, I bet. I bet. Usually, usually I'm interviewed about American Ninja. That's the yeah. that's the most popular. But this is the first time I'm interviewed about Operation Delta Force. So uh, I'm happy to be here. Oh, fantastic! That's fantastic. So we usually cover production ourselves, but since we have you with us, Sam, could you give us like a brief rundown of how the film came about? You know, any interesting stories about the setting up of the movie? Right, you know, I, I started my career with a company which was called Canon Film. Yep, in Canon famous. Film, the, the most famous uh, stuff that we did was, uh, of course, American, the, the ninja movies. Revenge mm-hmm. of yeah. the Ninja, Ninja 3, American Ninja, American Ninja number one. And I also directed for them a dance movie, Breaking to Electric Boogaloo. And then the, the, the company dissipated. The company went bankruptcy, disappeared from the face of this earth. Canon was also famous for the Delta Force movie, Chuck Norris. Yes. This was the big hit for Canon, the, 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 three Del- the two Delta Force movies. And then the company disappeared and another company uh, came on the heel of the company. Same people, more or less. I think it was, it was called Global Film, I think. And they wanted to do, uh, they had the right to do a sequel to uh, Avenge- uh, uh, Delta Force, 
So they hired me to do Delta Force number three. Chuck Norris was not anymore in the, in the formula. And this company disappeared, Global Film disappeared. <laughs> and uh, while uh, during the days of Canon, I directed the movie American Ninja number two in South Africa. It was done in South Africa. And the company that helped the production was called New Image, mm. or at the time was New Metro. Uh, New Metro was uh, people who knew the people of Canon. They were friends. The heads of New Metro and the heads of New Can of, uh, Canon were friends. And for some financial reasons, we 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 were filming the movie American Ninja Number Two in South Africa. Uh, when the, those two companies that I mentioned earlier disappeared, uh, the people of New Metro uh, created a production company which was called New Image. Later, New Image this, uh, produced many, many movies, and they called me in uh, to to make a movies to make a movie for them to direct a movie for them. The name of the movie was Cyber Cup with David Bradley. And I started to work with the company. I directed many movies for this company, New Image, uh, Cyber Cup Number Two, and and others. And one day they approached me. It was not my initiative. They approached me. They wanted to do kind of an imitation of Delta Force, which yeah. was so successful for Canon. So they wanted to duplicate the the success of Canon, and uh, they wanted to do. Uh, they could not use the title Delta Force because most of the Canon movies went to MGM when, mm -hmm. when there was a bankruptcy. Uh, the company ended in bankruptcy and most of the movies went to MGM, to Warner Brothers, big companies. And I think Delta Force, the title Delta Force, they couldn't use anymore because it was registered with those, right. one of those companies. And so, so they came up with this idea, Operation Delta Force. It's very yeah. hard to it's it's hard to stop somebody from making a movie with the name with the title Delta Force, but you have to change it a little bit. Mm. So it was the idea of the company. I did not initiate the idea. They want we want to do something similar. Uh, or we'll call it Operation Delta Force. And the script was already written. When I was uh, uh, commissioned, when I was asked to direct the movie, the, the script was already uh, written. Now, by then, the company have moved from South Africa to Hollywood, the offices. But they still had studios. They had studios in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And that's where, that's where we did the, the, the Cyber Cup movie, the two Cyber Cup movies. Ah, and and right. uh, so they wanted to use to utilize the studios that they had. It was a primitive film studio; it was not elaborated, <laughs> nothing like uh, England or, or Hollywood, nothing like London or Hollywood. And and, uh, and so they wanted to utilize it. So they wrote the script was written about the the issue was Africa. Uh, yeah, the the Quite location clever, really, the locale was Africa. And the issue was the Ebola virus, which at the time was a big news at the, mm. the, you know, at the time. And that's how the movie came about, came right. to, to life. Yeah. And, uh, and eventually we went to South Africa and we did it. Yeah. We made it. Do you know what do you know what budget was? Because it's one thing we found by trying to research this movie. We we just couldn't find a budget anywhere. Well, you know, one of the reasons that they they were filming in South Africa because at the time it was an advantage. There was an advantage with the exchange rate, exchange exchange rate 
between the rand and the dollar. So it was called all kind of, uh, and they had local, some local investors, banks, etc., financial institute. I'm not in this, uh, in this field of filmmaking or financing. Sure. Yeah. So, but this was the reason they were shooting in South Africa because a they had some equipment, some filming equipment. They had the 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 premises, the place to shoot. And it was advantageous to shoot using rands rather than dollars. So the only people who got paid, let's say, dollars are the actors and myself. All the other crew and equipment and everything were paid with rands. So, yeah, so I cannot right. tell you the real budget, no. the equivalent. But I would say, I would say it's around million dollar, not okay. more than wow. million okay. dollar, something one and a half million when you translate it to American dollars. Right. Fair enough. I think you did, you did well with what you had. Yeah. Um, so the schedule in, was nice. The schedule yeah. was good. It was eight week schedule. So there were, there was no, you know, two units. Uh, we had all the cameras and all the equipment we wanted. So it's a small budget, but uh, the means of filming, the means of production were, were good. What was it like, you know, you'd worked in South Africa before. What was it like working in just post apartheid South Africa? And obviously because a lot of the plot of the film is based around that far right element that wants right. a, a white South Africa, with Africa. That, that, yeah. that the screenwriter came up with. So I will explain when, when we went to do American Ninja number two was the, it was right at the edge of the kind of the end of the apartheid. Mm. It was not yet totally uh, abolished, not yet, but it was at the edge. When I arrived with the, when I, we arrived there with, to do American Ninja number two, it was the time when they stopped issuing different identity card with for different races. At, uh, right. Prior to this, there mm. were three different identity cards. It was white, black, and colored. When I came, uh, uh, when we came, it was they. There was only one. They were issuing only one identity card with no race. Okay, but <laughs> but we still felt the apartheid, there, you know, of course, and mm. we still felt the racial tension, etc. But but officially it was over but the government did not change yet it was still a white government when mm-hmm. when we came to american ninja of course we came back then there was there was the revolution nelson mandela took over when we came for cyber cup number 1 the atmosphere was already co- totally different cyber cup number 2 by the time we did the operation delta force there was no more uh, official apartheid at all, no, you know, the government was already uh, the National African uh, Party was yeah. in charge. So, but but uh, the crew, even even back then, the crew was always mixed: uh, black and African, black Africans and white Africans together working together. Uh, so on on the set among the film crew, you you couldn't feel this uh, and you know one of the heroes of the american ninja was uh, steve james which was a uh, black american and he was uh, he was uncomfortable going there so i when once i was there in johannesburg i called him i said steve come over this uh, no no you will not feel anything there is no no feeling uh, but, uh, but of course you know we didn't live in the <laughs> we are not local we Maybe we cannot yeah, we of course. feel You're... the nuances, the, the little oh, yeah, nuances. Exactly. Uh, the fascinating perspective on it though. But overall, there was no by the time we did the operation Operation Delta Force, there was no more racial separation at all. No. Mm. 
So in terms of uh, a little bit more about the production, I've got some things here. So the cinematography is by Yossi Wine. Uh, he would go on to direct the sequel to Operation Delta Force, uh, Delta Force 2 Mayday in 1998. Um, he also was a cinematographer on Cyborg Cop, um, Danger Zone and Navy Seals. Um, is released on the 16th of September 1997 in the US. It was a HBO home premiere and then it went straight to video. Um, and I have a retro review for us this week. Um, very rarely I get to do a review in front of the films. <laughs> this is a this is a first on the show, I think. Um, so our retro review this week comes from TV Guide from 1997. I've cut it down for ease, but it follows as this. Viewers of, of Operation Delta Force uh, can snooze at any point and not miss anything essential plot-wise. The Special Forces Adventure, which premiered on HBO and then was released directly to home video, is for action junkies only. Such fans will only be miffed when the prodigious action sequences are interrupted to deal with McKinney's sexist belligerence towards a female comrade or Lang's trumped-up animosity towards Tipton. Elements obviously added to space out the mayhem. There we are. I, I I would I, I would say it's an accurate description. I will tell you, uh, not to make excuses or anything like this, I inherited the script. The script was given to me. Mm. And he, many times, as a director, when I get a script, I have, a, I have enough layaway to change a little bit, to work with the writer, sometimes hire a different writer for what, so what they call in Hollywood, polishing a script, polish yeah. the script, yeah. And, yeah. and so on. Here, there was a unique situation. The script was written by the two executive producers who produced the movie. <laughs> so it was uh, 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 Danny Lerner and Trevor Shaw. They wrote the script. So it was, I was in a tight, uncomfortable yeah. situation of telling them, one, isn't it? you know, I don't think, I don't like this, I don't like that, because they, they would tell me, we like it, what can I do? They are the, they are the producers yeah. of the movie. In other movies, usually after after writing, we didn't have the writer with us anymore. And the producers didn't care, you know, let's say I'm doing a Revenge of the Ninja. Producers don't care if I change the script or not. But here in this case, it was awkward situation. It was tight because those two guys are the producers and they are the writer. And both of them from South Africa. You know, they came from South Africa. By then, the offices were in Hollywood already, as I told you. They moved the offices to Hollywood. But still, they were high on this whole uh, ideas that may, uh, telling a story about Africa. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, also, the company, the way it was, Canon was the same thing. Canon and New Image had this kind of the same philosophy. We need a lot of explosions. We need a lot of helicopters. We need a lot of, so we can sell it easily. Mm -hmm. So... I, my feeling today, retrospectively, of course, speaking, that it was pushed way too much into the action side of making a movie. Uh, we had, we always had formula when we made movies. And, and this was, as a director of action movies, this was my formula. 50% action, 50% story. I, I be, always, always believe that if you give the audience, the action audience, uh, action love, lover audience if you give them less of 45 minutes action in a movie it's a cheat you're cheating them <laughs> but uh, i re-reviewed -re this movie operation for or I, i'll tell you there is more way more than 45 minutes action <laughs> so the, so uh, as a consequence there was not enough minutes let's say mm. minutes in the movie 
to develop the character or to develop. And so, you know, if you think about, if you're looking at American Ninja, the relationship between Michael Dudikoff and Steve James, the love story between uh, Michael Dudikoff and Judy Aronson, there is enough time to develop those. Mm. Therefore, enhance the empathy of the audience to the character. And here in Operation Delta Force, a lot of military action, really a lot of military action, less of uh, developing the characters in a way or developing the the element of uh, of what is on stake, what is at stake, what mm. is why are we? It's not developed enough, and and therefore it um, diminishes a little bit from the uh, emotional involvement of the audience in the story, how much they care. So what the review <laughs> that you read is pretty fair, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a bad thing. I think the film very much knows what it is, and I think if you go into it looking for an action movie, you're going to be more than happy. And I don't even think that the fact that obviously it isn't that 50-50 spread that you talked about, I think we get enough context of who these people are and the film does it in, in a very economical, but also pretty decent way of explaining like Tipton's had a, you know, a bit of, con um, bit of controversy, friendly fire incident. He, he's killed Lang's brother. There's some misogyny going on. The, the baddies really bad. I think it all yeah. gets laid out really nicely, it's even though lot, yeah. obviously the, the, the leans a little bit more to the action side of things. But damn, does this does this film? It really does get everything in. I, I made a note at the end. I was going to say it at the end of the show, but it honestly, you get you get um you get a hostage rescue, boogies, boats, train assault, village set piece, a bowler outbreak, halo jump, boat assault, everything. It's all there. For that, I'm 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 with Matt on that one. I think it. I think reappraising something from it's not twenty twenty odd years ago now, but like it's it's streamlined. I think I think now if you if you produce something like that for a Netflix for a Prime video and you are unashamedly saying look this is an action film this is exactly what you're going to get I think it really flows quite well you don't you, we say a lot on the show you can leave your brain at the door and you can sit down with, with a snack and, and a beer or whatever and it's just an enjoyable watch like it's not you know what you're getting and I love it yeah. for that it's, me and Matt say a lot that and I was going to say in final thoughts but I'll echo it now I'll probably say it later as well this art, this type of filmmaking, this this home premiere, straight to video, um, way of doing things that was so prevalent back in the early late nineties, eighties, um, early thousands, it's been lost. And I really, I love these movies for that. I love what that they are, just unashamedly the genre, and with all the cliches and everything else that comes yeah. with it. But that's why they're so good. You know, I I, I want to gorge on them almost because they're just so they're just so enjoyable. I grew up on my diet of movie movies when I was a kid. I was seven years old, eight years, nine. This was 1957, 1958. Was and I saw a movie every week. I saw two movies. I was a little kid. There was a, a in my neighborhood. There was a theater. We went, you know, double double. Beer. We saw a lot of World War II movies. Obviously, at the time, you know, it was 57, 58, 59. And yeah, then, yeah. Uh, uh, so what we saw was Westerns, mainly Westerns and war movies. Western and war movies. And Westerns are also war movies in a different, in a different yeah. way, you know, a different type of a war movie. But this military. So I was always 
in love. I, and at the beginning of my career as a director, I said, well, one day I, I really want to do a Western, which never happened. And I, one day I want to do a military movie. I really want to do a war movie, a military movie. So uh, as far as Western, I just got to, in, in actually South Africa, in, in American Ninja number two, we have a bar, brawl in a bar, like in a saloon. Uh, yeah. a fight. So yeah. that's as far as I went. But uh, on, to satisfy my my will to make a war movie, I, I got two chances: uh, Delta Force Number Three and Operation Delta Force. So, so I I deluge. I did I did as much as <laughs> I directed as much. I packed in as much as I can to satisfy my uh, <laughs> my own desire to to make such this type of movies. I mean, it shows. I think it really shows. So, Matt, maybe you should give us a rundown of the cast quickly. Absolutely. And Sam, if you have any uh, stories about the cast, do jump in. So obviously the lead is Ernie Hudson, best known for Ghostbusters. He's been in Family Business recently, Quantum Leap as well at the moment. Uh, he's also been in Dirty Dozen, Fatal Mission, um, yeah. which we covered last that, December. That links back to last December. That's why. That's one yeah. of the reasons that this month came about was because I noticed it was on his credits list. <laughs> Gets in the back pocket till now. He's great in this. I <laughs> really like I think he's, he's I think he's fabulous in this. Um Jeff Farhi lost Wyatt Earp, uh, only the Brave. Um Robert Stewart plays Sparks. Uh Frank Segarino uh plays McKinney. Uh we got the the final mission, Train to Kill, Striker, Warhead, uh, Shadow Chaser, lots of great cult movies. Um, Joe Lara playing the bad guy, uh, jo uh, Johan Nash. Again, he was in Warhead. He was in a Tarzan show in the 90s. And he was also yes. in uh, Operation Delta Force 4 uh, as well. Oh, okay. So we'll be mentioning him again later this him. month, I'm sure. Oh. Him, yeah. uh, then we've got Todd Jensen, who played Hutch. And he was in uh, Operation Delta Force right. uh, 2 as uh, Sergeant Lombardi and Operation Delta Force 5 as Bob Johnson. So he's in three of the movies in three different characters as well. And he was in Cyber Cup, Todd Jensen. He was, yeah, and Warhead, and and uh, he was also an extra in an episode of CI Five: The New Professionals. Rob, wow, yeah, the, got that in there the, for you. The lesser talked about professional series, indeed. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so here it was. What happened? Uh, first, there was the script. The script was given to me. The company, New Image, they had relationship with Jeff Fay because they right. made another uh, earlier before they made another movie with him uh, with Eric Robert, I think. It was uh, something about the waterfall. I forgot the name of it. But they already had, in any case, they yeah. already had relationship with Jeff Fahey. So they spoke with him. I was not involved. You know, so uh, many times a director is involved in the casting, but in most of the cases, director is not involved in the star, in the one or two stars, mm -hmm. because those are deals which are made between the producer and the agency and the people who will buy the movie and the distributor. So getting the star of a movie is sometimes it's a, it's a financial decision, I would say, business yes, decision. Definitely. Rather. So anyway, they already had, so they had relationship with Jeff Fay. So we spoke with him. They spoke with him. I met with him. Okay. He he agreed to do this movie. That uh, Ernie Hasson, they did not have relationship. I, and neither I needed. Neither I, but I suggested him for some, I, I don't remember how, I suggested that Jeff Fahey, uh, I think by that time, Steve James already died. Right. Uh, he died very young, very early, Steve. 
And so anyway, so they approached him through the channels, through the, the agency. They found the agency. He came to meet me. I met with him. We liked it, each, each other a lot. He came aboard. Okay, he agreed. Frank Zagarino, I knew very well. I was friend with Frank Zagarino. Frank Zagarino was part of our group of... Uh, action. I did not direct him prior to this, but he was part of the group of the action crowd, you know. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Dooney. We can see it from his credits. He's the in same that type sphere, of movie. So he yeah. was in a new image, and, and I knew him. I, I used to go to his house. I, I, we were friends with, with Frank Zagarino. So I knew him already. Joe Lara made movies with the, in, I think, even in Canon. Uh, so he knew Boaz Davidson. He was in, uh, and Boaz Davidson is one of the producers of Operation Delta Force. So Boaz Davidson brought in Joe Lara because he made with him the movie, uh, a prior movie, an action movie also, that Boaz Davidson directed. So right. Boaz Davidson brought in uh, Joe Lara. And, you know, it, uh, it was fantastic. I brought in Rob Stewart. I, I, I directed, Rob Stewart was the, the star of a television show called uh, Sweating Bullet. And I directed one season of Sweating Bullet. Ah, so right. I was friendly with uh, Rob Stewart. He was the yeah, star. Cool. Uh, either they had two names, this uh, television series, Tropical Heat and Sweating Bullet. Oh, so yeah, I I've brought, seen it uh, called Rob Tropical Stewart Heat. In. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Todd Johnson, I already knew. And he was, he's a South African. Todd Johnson lives in Johannesburg. So he was in Cyber Cup number one, Cyber Cup number two. Okay, bring him along. He's in. So he was in. So kind of more or less, that's how the, the, the cast came together. Okay. Now, you know, sometimes, interesting, just from a gossip point of view, sometimes you have a cast that they really gel together. They're really... I mean, they off-screen, they became friends, you know. Mm. And, and it happened to me a lot. Uh, Michael Ludikov and Steve James became good friends and Judy Aaron's. Uh, in this case, in our case right here, uh, Jeff Faye and, and uh, Ernie Hudson, which are the, the lead story, the whole most of the story, but they, they, did not, they, they, they did not become good friends. I mean, they were not very friendly to each other. Oh dear! Uh, and uh, to I suppose that works for the Jeff, plot, though, doesn't it? It can reflect it on screen. Yes, they exactly. have that on-screen animosity. On the screen, you can see it on the screen exactly. And and it was to a point that Jeff, you know, they have trailers. Actors have the trailers when the, they don't. Yeah. So Jeff's always Jeff. They always ask, put my trailer a hundred foot away from the set. I want to be by myself over there. So he, he always had his trailer far away from all of us from the set. Wow. So he wouldn't be. But then, you know, toward the end, everybody, it, it, it kind of became a group toward the end. Uh, yeah, Frank, Frank Zagarino, a nice guy. Uh, Joe Lara, um, kind of a loner, you know, off screen, uh, off uh, mm -hmm. outside. And uh, but uh, you know Rob and all of us usually usually we stay in hotels together. You know we go to location, we stay in hotel together. So then yeah. it happens a lot that in the weekend we'll eat together, we'll go to a restaurant together afterward. <laughs> so this was uh, how it came about uh, the the cast. Ah, and one more. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Hal General. Hal So he yeah. was not cast. He. Uh, he was not cast right away. We went to South Africa. We didn't have somebody for this part. And it was only two days shooting. 
only two days of filming. So the company, but they knew that they wanted to sneak in somebody with a name, with a recognizable name. So while we were already in Africa filming, I got the the, the, the message there. We got Hal Holbrook to do this. Whoa, that's so sorry. He's an Academy Award actor. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he came, he got all the respect, etc. But only two days and he, he left us. He was there only two days. It's so bizarre seeing him in a military role. I, I'm not used to that. So it was. It's, yeah, a, nice, yeah. it's a nice little. Does it well though? Yeah, well, he does it well. Yeah, he'd been he, in Under Siege eighty in in eighty six uh, and uh, behind enemy lines and oh, I think right. he'd been he'd been in uh, like a nuclear and, uh, war movie as well. So he'd done a couple of things uh, military esque. And you know, Joe Joe Lara does not speak really Afrikaans. And there are lines in Afrikaans, so they had to teach him yeah. every line by line how, how to pronounce it. And a few his few lines on the radio when he talks in Afrikaans, uh, but uh, but uh, he, he fit the, the bad guy. He, he really he was yeah. good. Yeah, at, uh, he's, he's antagonist. Definitely... He, he he nailed it as a as an antagonist of the, yeah. of the movie. He's definitely as... big bad. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, there was uh, Natasha Sutherland as well, who I believe is a South African actor. Yeah, she's a South African. Yeah, and she, uh, she's uh, been in uh, a few a couple of them. Things. There was also the, the this one guy who who dies in the in the jeep. He's a South oh. African. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, she she Natasha she was a South African actor. All the other all the generals, all the uh, supposedly American generals, etc. There are South African actors with the American accent. They, oh, you they, never know. Yeah, there's there's that they, there's, they, they, there's they Albrook's, um I think one of them was American who lives in South Africa. But all yeah. of the actors, all the other generals, everybody, except the one that we have mentioned now, everybody was local. Holbrook's aide does a very good, um, well, I say good, but uh, like Southern American accent. Yeah. Throughout, and that yeah, yeah. that you can you can yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, it might have. I don't remember if we dubbed any of them later or not. I I don't uh, remember. But uh, I remember that one of them was an American actor who lived in South Africa. Hmm. And mm. uh, and he was training them to <laughs> to do the American accent. <laughs> the other, the, all those generals who sit around the table. Yeah, uh, all of them are. Uh, so I think accent. we've done the cast. I think now we should move into the alley tally and talk about some of the kit and equipment on show in the. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Movie. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. 
I, I know before we started recording, Sam, you you asked me to ask you about the military advisor, and we're all very excited to hear hear about this chap. So this is actually the 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 the, the greatest anecdote story about this movie is the military advisor. On the movie Delta Force, I was not the original director. The original director was uh, what's his name from South, from Australia. I, I, nice guy, nice nice director, good director from Australia. I remember the name in a second. And I was recruited in the first day of shooting. Something happened there. I don't know exactly some relationship issues. So I is this, on, Del- is this on, on Delta Force Three, Sam? Delta Force Number Three, not right. not this one. Got you. Delta Force 3. I was in Israel. It was it was filmed in Israel. Delta Force 3 was in Israel. There was no Chuck Norris, but there was Mike Norris. I already knew Mike Norris. I was f- friendly with Mike Norris. Mike Norris was almost, almost the American Ninja. In the last minute, he was... Uh-huh. <laughs> in the last... Not in, not in the last minute already in, but in the process... The process of casting American Ninja, finally we decided on Michael Dudikoff. But Mike was contender. Mike was there. So I was, I knew Mike uh, uh, Norris. Uh, so I was re- I was there making another movie in Israel. Uh, completely another movie for the same company. And they called me. I, I finished the filming of the other movie. It's called The Day We Met. It's actually a comedy and they, they called me. I knew all the people involved. Actually, Chris Pierce, he was uh, from England. He was the head of production at Canon. And then he became the head of production of Global, uh, Chris Pierce. And he called me. Now, it was in the weekend. <laughs> you know, we need you Sunday morning in, in Israel. They start filming. The week starts on Sunday. Yeah. So I, I jumped into the, I, I came in the first day of shooting. And it's a heavy military movie. Now, I served in the military in Israel, but nothing, nothing special. I was not in any special forces, just infantry and uh, engineering corps. And not, nothing special. I was never involved in any action. Nothing happened in two, three years in the military. Nothing happened to me in terms of excitement. So I, I know basics. I know what guns mean. I know what uh, mortar means. Uh, basics, you know, what, what is a rocket, tank? But I don't have experience really in a special operation and those kind of forces. And then, so I come on the first day of shooting and we start to shoot a scene. And, and after a few hours of that, I, I, I realize there is no military advisor on the set. Mm. You know, I'm alone, I'm by myself. Okay, go ahead, make a military movie about Delta Force, about special <laughs> of commando operation. What do I know about commando operation? Other than what it's I saw in the movie, to hear a know. director say something like that, I think. No, you know, I see movies, but otherwise, so all my knowledge is from movies, not from mm. real. But saying that in Israel, every crew member is a general, <laughs> so to speak. You know, <laughs> everyone, <laughs> every crew member, this, the 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 one of these, uh, the prop master or the the lighting, so many of them. <laughs> Uh, and we had, uh, uh, of course, uh, we had uh, a good stunt crew uh, from Australia. So, so they they had some knowledge, but when it came to questions over how do you talk in the radio, I I don't the minute the little details of commando mm. operation, I didn't know. Nobody knew. So I I got some advice from whoever on the crew had enough 
in Israel, everyone uh, served in the military. So a few of them, and uh, Guy Norris was the guy. <laughs> guy Norris from Australia was the stunt coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> Not related to the Norris family, no, no, to right. Mike Norris. <laughs> <laughs> and so they knew, you know, so I, I was gathering information. Uh, how do you operate? How do you walk with a gun? How do you, okay. When I was hired to do this operation, Delta Force, so my first meeting, I met with the producers, Danny Lerner, Avi Lerner. I said, the first, my first request, I will direct this movie. Okay, but you must hire military advisor. I'm not a military expert. Please, you know, I need somebody to to guide me. Yeah. And I know how to direct movies. I don't know how to direct war operation. <laughs> so they agreed. They understood it. And uh, looking around, and I don't know how, I don't remember how we found, we found this guy, Eric Simmel. You will see his name in the Yeah, I saw him on the credits. Yeah. The military director. He was a SEAL. In the in the seals in the American seals, right. and he writer writer uh, you know movie uh, uh, scriptwriter and he did not write this script but he was a writer and a military seal. So I met with Eric Simmel, and now we are talking different language. Now we are talking about the different level. <laughs> Eric read the script and made notes, and I said and right away we are still in Hollywood before we go to South Africa. He's a uh, you know he's American from the Navy, so American Navy. So he said, "Let me take you to a warehouse where we find the right gear." So uh -huh. first of all, we went to a warehouse of weapon and equipment for rental for movies. So he showed me the right guns for because he was in a commando unit. He was in such a unit in the seals. So he showed me the right guns, the right uh, outfit, the right glasses that they have to wear. And the way they talk with each other and the way they behave and the way they walk. Do you walk in a line? Do you walk in parallel? He knew all of it. But the first thing was the equipment. So we went and to, uh, to the right few warehouses where they rent equipment. So either some of them we rented and we shipped to South Africa. And this was also problematic. Shipping weapon to South Africa was problematic uh, by itself. But some of it was duplicated in South Africa. We only had, and he knew all the right insignia and the uniform and exactly whatever symbol goes in every pocket and every uh, shoulder, etc., and so on and so on, and the diving equipment. And he came with me to South Africa. Now this was a different story for me because now I could direct with ease and every question I ask, I turn around to Eric. Eric, how do we do it? Oh, Eric, prepare the troop for tomorrow. You know, tomorrow yeah. we have the so-and-so scene. Or oh, next Tuesday, go ahead and prepare them. Show them how they move and how they walk and how they... It's... So th this is one of the reasons when you watch Operation Delta Force, it looks uh, believable. It yeah. Looks, yeah. It has this uh, feeling of that's how special units operate. Yeah, you know, I, li I like that. He, 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 he showed me. And th those vehicles... Uh, those jeeps, semi <laughs> open jeep, was his idea. Was Eric's idea? Yeah, Delta Force patrol vehicle. Delta Force. Uh, this was Eric's idea, and he, and he brought them in. 
you know, the truth that the movie is a little bit outdated. When you look at the equipment, I'm looking nowadays, the weapon nowadays is unbelievable compared to and what was, uh, you know, what they were talking thir- only 30 years ago, you know. Yeah. So, so for me and Matt, I mean, in terms of the, the kit and equipment, that's something we really enjoyed. So even the, the radio equipment they're using, it looks like medieval nowadays. <laughs> From yeah. the, compared There's a bit to where uh, Annie pulls out one of those really chunky old mobile phones in the, yeah, in the lab sequence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. I, I, know I, had, that was, I had a very similar first phone when I was of a course, kid. all of us. <laughs> yeah, sure. We had a, we had a, but the radio, the equipment, the guns, etc. It looks like uh, compared to what they have today. Mm. But there's so uh, much there, though. There's so much in there that's really cool stuff. The other one more problem in the movie, I must say, it sticks out, stick out to me. <laughs> we had a sequence with the train. It's nice. It's exciting. The bridge. We found a fantastic location in South Africa. This yeah, huge, amazing location bridge where it. the the two trains, but we couldn't get modern train. For I don't know, the, the production couldn't get the higher real modern. So we have two steam engines. I love that. I thought that was great. Like it looks so good. There's, so, there's your western again, Sam. That's the western. Yeah, the, there you go. This bridge, the, the the train on the bridge is a western. It's absolutely right. It has the the look of. Uh, <laughs> the look of a Western, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, one more. This is one little detail of the, this uh, <laughs> the, the old locomotives, yeah. rather than having modern. So and, me, me uh, and Matt, like some of the some of the things we picked out when we were, when we were watching, um, just the amount of varied amount of weapons that are in the movie. So you've got you've got your Delta Force guys with their silenced uh, MP5 SDs. You've got Ernie Hudson running around with a captured Walther. MP submachine gun, which Matt was very excited to see because they're very, see very often. Them. Nice. No, you like don't. It. As I said, a lot of it is because of Eric. Now, one more story is the helicopter. Oh yeah, the helicopters. You know, and, and the low budget action production companies they love helicopters and helicopter exploding. You know, you'll you'll see it in any action low budget <laughs> action independent movie exploding helicopter. But anyway, uh, there. There is in the movie this huge white helicopter. It's a Russian helicopter. Mm. Yeah. ME-8 or ME-5. I, I don't remember the number. Me. M-E. M-I. M-I. Me. M-I-5, I think. M-I-8. How did we came about it? You know, there was a war in Angola prior, 10 years earlier, before. Yeah. And Angola was communist. South Africa was fighting Angola. You know, South Africans were fighting uh, Angolans, guerrillas. Mm-hmm. And Russia... <laughs> was on the Angolan side. So Russia supplied to Angola all those old, I mean, we can say old helicopters. They are huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and hundreds and hundreds of them. And, and then the, the war came to an end between South Africa and Angola. And Russia didn't want them back. So in Angola, they were parked. And Angola had nothing to do with it, with the, those... So the, the, you, there was, the way I, I was told, there was like a big field with 400, those those M, M, wow. helicopters yeah. just standing there, wow. nobody knew what to do. So the U, uh, UN bought it from Angola for humanitarian use. And they were cheap. Every, they were trying just to get rid of them. <laughs> so the company, the production company got one of them, but nobody knows how to fly it. There are, there are other two helicopters in the movie 
Western helicopters. Yeah. I don't know the names, but you had the hmm. South African uh, uh, pilots who knew how to operate them, but nobody knew how to operate the Russian uh, helicopter, this huge. So they imported two pilots from Russia, came, you know, wow. somebody had a contact either in Russia or, or Bulgaria, one of those countries, Soviet countries, and two pilots came. A pilot and a, a you know an assistant pilot came from just for this movie. They spoke English. They, you know the the pilot spoke English, and wow, he came to the helicopter. It's it's even in in a, in a Russian terms, it's an old helicopter, and the helicopter is made. You know the shell of the helicopter is made out of uh, of a material, not not aluminum. It's like a oh, right. burlap. Yeah, the, wow, the structure okay. is aluminum, but when you touch the shell, it's a burlap. It's a, mm, it's like wow. a piece of material. Did you actually blow up the helicopter? You know, in the scene where Annie blows it up, was that the helicopter that blew no, up? Yes, was it that yes, cheap? But, but what blows up it is a mock-up. Okay, we didn't I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, are they <laughs> that they cheap build, that you could just yeah, blow the it up? Yeah, the department have built a mock-up <laughs> yeah. that we blow. We, we blow. Right, right. But then there's a, uh, and, and this helicopter, does not fly. You know, there is a scene that uh, Ernie Hudson crawls underneath. He, op- he opens mm-hmm. a little and the fuel comes out. This helicopter does not fly on benzene or diesel. It flies on uh, kerosene. Oh. Like very, very primitive. So that's why it was safe to open it. Because you, you will not open a, a, yeah. a real gasoline with a benzene. With a, and this kerosene does not light up. <laughs> So that's yeah. why it was safe to open it and to let it, uh, and and uh, the pilot, and there is a section over there and the pilot came, you know, we talk before every helicopter uh, maneuvers or something, the pilot talks with the director or the cinematographer, what do you want it exactly? So the pilot came to us and said, where do you, standing by the camera, where do you want the helicopter? Said, right there over the canyon, you know, the, right there, look at the camera. He brought the helicopter right to this precise <laughs> point in the pro. viewfinder yeah. of the of the camera. And he was not a movie uh, pilot, you know, he was real <laughs> ex-pilot. He was a retired pilot, you know, an ex-pilot. Now the stunt the stunt crew is a local stunt crew. The uh, entire stunt crew was uh, in South Africa. Was uh, uh, you know when when I came there first with American Ninja, they they had a very basic stunt crew. So we brought mm. stunt people with us. I brought in B J Davis from Hollywood, and uh, four stunt and they started to train South African stunt people. We finished American Ninja 2, and, and the, the stunt, B.J. Davis stayed in South Africa, and he, he kept training South African stunt people. By the time we came to Operation Delta Force, the American people already left, the American stunt people left, and the entire stunt crew of uh, uh, Operation Delta Force were were South African, including all the, I saw a lot of flying when I reviewed the movie. You know, every explosion had a, Flying bodies, flying over fences and over flames, and those are done with ramps and all kind of cable and all kind of mechanical. And they did everything really, really well, mm-hmm. including the guy who who parachuted into the the stuntman who supposedly Natasha, but but it was a stuntman who parachuted right into the camp. We'll talk about a few of the main favorite scenes in a moment, but there's some really great stuff, and I I have to mention the classic '90s suppressor sounds. 
because you've got all those the rob mentioned the mp5 sd but you had like a suppressed grease gun and there's lots of suppressed pistols because they're they're special forces so they have to have suppressed guns but you get that classic some of those classic suppressed sounds and i love i love all the set pieces because and close and dear dear to my heart is there's a stelling submachine gun there's a guy running around with one of those and there's all sorts of cool stuff let me tell you some of the stuntmen where i was talking with them some of them served in angola some of them were fighting in angola some of them not all of them but Mm -hmm. some of the stuntmen had uh, had the military experience because they were fighting in the south african army Mm -hmm. in angola i don't know if they brought in some special forces by, by like the descending on the wall with the cable going upside down. Oh, yeah. The, running, the running on the down wall. the, yeah. They was... did it very well, or coming out of the helicopter with the yeah, cable. They mm-hmm. So they brought in some some people with military experience, but some of the stunt people themselves told me that they were in Angola fighting. Wow. Uh, during the during the time during the war in, in Angola, what I what I was going to mention was the great use of water cannon at the end. I've never seen a water ah, cannon, yeah, quite like it. I, that was very alley. I like that very much. This was an improvisation on the spot because the cannon was there. The water cannon was on the ship, and you know I'm always looking. You know when I I direct action movies, so, so I'm the director. Of course, many people are helping the director especially when it comes to action, the stunt coordinator. The, but I always, in my mind, I always think about the audience. And our goal, my, my, my job, let's say, my goal, my purpose is to excite the audience on the screen, to make it exciting. So the people, so any elements that sometimes you see an element in the location is, wow, that might add a little bit, little bit humorous, a, a little bit more excitement. So the cannon was there. It was. It's not from the script. It was just there on the ship. It's great. I've never right seen anything quite top. like it. So I asked I ask the people, is it operative? Is it, is it working? The, you know, the people who, yeah, <laughs> who yeah. operate the ship, the real people, not the movie people. So I said, yeah, sure, you can operate the cannon. I said, let's use it. Let's do something. With it. Right. Let's, let's, find yeah. a, let's find some a gimmick to, to use the It's cannon. definitely the first time we've mentioned the water What cannon. I really wanted, I'll tell you the truth, what I really, really wanted, but it didn't come to fruition. I wanted this whole sequence at the end to be in the rain, uh-huh. to have a rain, pouring rain, like I did in uh, Avenging Force. The ending of Avenging Force is a, is a 12 minutes in the rain action sequence. So I wanted the same thing, but it was night, it was very cold, they didn't have the rain, they couldn't arrange the rain machines. So I said, at least we'll have the water cannon. The cannon yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, I think that takes us really nicely into favorite scenes territory, and we can all talk about some of our favorite sequences from the movie. So, Sam, as you're the director, uh, do you have a favorite scene from the whole movie? I enjoyed a lot working with the train, I'll tell you the truth. With this tall bridge and two... There is some force to it that you have two trains... Stand... It's a very tall bridge. On, on it's spectacular. Very, it's you a know, gorgeous skinny location. Legs, standing on very skinny legs. Yeah. So we worked underneath and we worked above and on the roof. And I was on the roof of the, you know, sometimes I don't want to say I take risks. I try not to take risks as a director, but still you get some exciting moment. You know, I'm sitting on top of a train on the roof of a rain and the train is moving on top of a bridge. And what is it like hundred foot down to the, to the bottom. <laughs> so there are exciting moments, even as a director, when I'm trying to avoid danger, believe me, I, I, I'm not taking risks. 
but uh, there were a lot of uh, exciting moments in this train uh, train sequence uh, mm. filming filming from inside the helicopter filming on top of the train filming inside the train and it's moving all the time so uh, it it was uh, nice some some new action for me new new type of uh, of uh, directing mm. no it works really well it's really nice to see it i mean for, for me one of my my favorite part of the movie is well i got every, all of it is really i really enjoy this movie but for me my, one of my favorite parts is the 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 initial assault on the bio lab by the 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 baddies that the afa guys and yeah. i just love how like it's just they're just unashamedly bad so that they turn up and they gun down the the defenses of the of the bio lab and they 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 assault it and they get a, a shot at by a pillbox and then they take out the pillbox and they're inside the bio lab and they're gunning everyone down and not taking any prisoners and i and i just loved how it, you're just establishing them as the bad guys so well and oh, i think eddie yeah, hodson gets that great yeah, nice deal as a, well it's a western you want to establish the baddies yeah. are baddies it, it <laughs> that way so, yeah and, and, and this whole set this whole glass was a set was built oh wow on a soundstage you know big warehouse in, mm. in johannesburg uh, so all the glasses were breakaway glasses. It was built to be destroyed. <laughs> the art department, the way they built it, uh, uh, was built to be destroyed. That all the glasses will explode and the whole thing. Will, yeah, it's will, really no. I love go, it. I just, go, I love go, how... go in pieces. Go to hell in pieces. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I just, it's just unashamedly just balls uh, <laughs> to the wall action. There's, you know, it doesn't relent. It doesn't stop. It sets up the plot of them getting the vials and. There's still a little bit of mystery of what's in that second vial. You know, it it still make, keeps you thinking, keeps you guessing what it could be. I just really like it. Matt, Matt, what about you? Favorite scenes? I I like the intro. I like the um the it it's kind of like a, a fake out uh, where they're doing the training mission at the beginning, and the the guys are abseiling down the front of the building. The helicopter comes in. They yeah. they breach in and they've got the little cameras and looking under the door and stuff. It's all really cool. And then they you know they do room clearances. I really like that bit. I also like the little bit in the uh, the village with the the buggy and the the it's got that rocket mounted on the the roll bar and it fires off and it yeah cool. and it blows. It's yeah, stolen yeah, from great. the from the Delta Force movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from yeah. the Delta Force movies from Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> but but I I do like how we took the couple of time we took the jeeps on the air uh, you know flying mm. in the air and landing that's <laughs> great right. the, the boat sequence as well we haven't even talked about the boat sequence where yeah. the, there's there's a, a a running battle with the with the little um, mm-hmm. assault boats that's quite cool as well but yeah those I boats mean, we... were out there you know the 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 so called the, the armor part of the boat are are directed. You know that it was built on yeah. regular boats, mm-hmm. uh, our directing. And Very cool. Yeah, it was nice as well. Hello, I'm Al Murray, and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. So, I mean, maybe that brings us on to final thoughts, Matt, for this week. I think so. I mean, so it's been fascinating talking to you about your experiences on the film, Sam. So, what what are your What's your sort of your your thoughts on the movie? Twenty years later, you know what do you what do you make of it now? Well, I I I'll tell you, I haven't seen it for a long time, and because uh, because of our meeting, because of our podcast, I re-reviewed it, mm. and and uh, and that's that's the way I looked at it today. The movie as a movie, it lacks 
the, something is missing here in this movie in a general, and this is the, I would say, the emotional level of storytelling which connects the audience, brings the audience to a point that they care, really care about the, what, what's going to happen. Now, it, you can sit there as I did, you can sit back in your chair and just enjoy the action. I say, I'm going to see some military action gear going on and on, sure. on non-stop roller coaster of action. But uh, in a movie, in movie watching, in, in the world of movie, there is a moment that you, oh, that you say, okay, enough of this. Where is my emotional involvement? Where is my empathy to the, to the story? Uh, and usually usually in most of cinemas and in most of stories there is a hero mm. one hero that you 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 sympathize with one hero that you identify with and you go with your hero usually of course there are movies like uh, seven samurais or or uh, you know that the, the hero is a group it's not mm. a hero anymore and this is similar this is the same idea this is seven samurai that the heroes are a group of uh, heroes together, but uh, it doesn't draws you as well. Another thing in movies, in cinema, there is some, there is a what I call the magic element of the recipe, which is unpredictable. It's impossible mm -hmm. to, you know, you have seen some big, big movies with big stars, and something doesn't. There is no chemistry. Let's say in the love story. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, the love story goes along on the screen, but you can feel that those yeah. two actors, they yeah. don't know no chemistry. Definitely seen that. Sometimes yeah. it's amazing. So I bring as an example American Ninja. The chemistry between Michael Dudikov and Steve James was explosive, was unbelievable. It's, it's a magic on the screen. You cannot create it. It just happens. Yeah, it happens, yeah. And here in, in this, and, and that, that's the point. In this, uh, 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 in this operation, Delta Force, where the two main characters are Ernie Hudson and Jeff Faye, I didn't. I don't feel this chemistry, that that this magical element, the magical mm -hmm. spice, the magic of chemistry that that happens in movies or doesn't happen. Either or, you know. <laughs> we have seen some huge budget movies with the chemistry is not there. The magic is not, and and this chemistry is missing in in Operation Delta Force. So you're right, as we, you guys, right? If we are dealing with a war movie, with a, a you know military movie, yeah. you got the goods, you know. You you yeah. see there and is that, audience, and, and you uh, and uh, yeah. you see what you came to see, and, and it's pretty as, as I told you, and it's pretty accurate because of Eric Simmel. What we see in the screen is very pretty much accurate yeah. to what really happens in in special forces in the in the in the level of uh, of the magic of relationship, the movie lacks. Yeah, I mean, I, th I do agree with you there, I think. And there's not many, to be fair, there isn't many scenes where Hudson and Fahi are chatting that much. So right. maybe that, that hinders it. Maybe The best scene bit. is in the, in the Hercules, in the airplane. Yeah, that's there. a good one. Yeah. This is the yeah. best scene between the two of them. When they find out that they're infected, that is, that is good. Right. But I, in terms of final thoughts for me, like we... We picked we picked the Delta Force franchise just as a little bit of fun for the end of the year to take us into December, but we weren't fully we didn't fully know what to expect going into the first movie. And I, I got to admit, I watched it with my wife, and she's a massive critic. She used to work in film. She was a she was a, a camera op. She was a, a um, she used to do sound, 
And she, she was sitting there and she was going, yes, yeah, it's just quite enjoyable. You know, you, you know what you're getting. And I, and I think that's why I love these movies so much. As I said earlier, it's, it's a lost art for me. These canony Globus movies, they just don't make them anymore. And I, I just, I just love it. And if, what, what a way to kick off, kick off December. And I'll tell you one, there is one magic in those movies. And it, it's true to all the movies that I happen to direct, the action movies. What you see in the screen really happen. Yes. No gimmicks, no well, optical effects, no digital this is something effects. That I think the eye about as well. you see on the screen physically happened on the set. If you every, think about films every now, fly of a jeep, everybody who rolls down, everybody comes down uh, the building. This is for real. No, no gimmicks, no optical, no, no generated, no you know digital generated yeah. images, nothing. Mm. Well, so that, that's nice. You feel it as an audience. You feel there is. A, it's subconscious. You don't have to sit there as an audience and say, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a second. You don't. But there is something. Underneath that is you, you feel the how how rough it is how yeah. real it is that what, yeah. what you see that, that well that's... that that is exactly what I was going to say because you watch films like this now and there's an over reliance on CGI and the CGI is is often not very good because the budget isn't there but you've made a film for a million dollars and you get in a hostage rescue boats trains set pieces a bowler a halo helicopters. jump helicopters everything's in there any hudson's great despite you know there not being that chemistry that you've just eloquently spoken about but i think as an action movie i think it really does work really well it, it has something to it i really did enjoy it I, you don't get that very often with this sort of film nowadays that when people try and make these sort of films don't always it doesn't always quite hit the mark yeah yeah, or they're too the, 80s, the, the yeah. 80s and the 90s were a very good time for a low budget independent mm. action movies. Very good time. Absolutely. Really there was. was enough budget. Today, there is not, not enough budget for those mm. kind of movies. And hey, listen, I, I'm happy that you guys enjoyed it. And I, I'm oh, happy that other viewers that are, or other listeners that are listening now to our podcast enjoyed it or will go now and watch the movie i'm sure we'll they will i'm sure because... they will so i mean yeah we have to round off the episode there thanks very much for joining us sam it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you uh, tell us all about the making of the movie um and please don't go watch uh, operation delta force if you can it's out there on youtube someone must have the rights to it um and they've uploaded them all um and yeah do join us next week for operation delta force 2 mayday so please do join us then and uh, you can uh, catch the rest of the podcast over on fightingonfilm.com uh, there's nearly 160 episodes uh, i'm sure there'll be something in there for you to enjoy so uh thanks for listening folks and we'll catch you next week uh, all that's left to say goodbye okay goodbye thank you for having me <laughs> our pleasure thank you bye now bye-bye hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the future isn't scary not realizing its potential however could be just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water... 
it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.